Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have provided a place for us to gather to learn of you and to study what you've revealed about yourself and what you've revealed about us and our need for a Savior and our need for a constant dependence upon you in all things. God, forgive us of our impatience, of our... um, desire to take control ourselves. Teach us from this passage this morning um, of where we are and what our, and what our go-to uh, response is whenever you test us through delay or uh, through other means. Teach us to rely on Jesus only. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Exodus 32 We are embarking on the last leg of Exodus. Marching forward and resolutely to Leviticus. And I'm very, very excited. Very, very excited. All right, 32. First, I really want to thank... uh, Philip and, and uh, Chad and Clint and, and Rodney for filling in um, and giving me a little, a little break the past four weeks. It, you know, it's a, it, it was kind of cool to be able to sit in here with you and not miss anybody and yet just be po- kind of poured into by those guys. It was really, really good. I appreciate y'all doing it. Um, and it was, it was good. But before we uh, move forward in Exodus 32, let's, let's kind of review a little bit where, we, where we've been. Do you remember in chapter 20, we went through the Ten Testimonies, the Ten Commandments, God revealing Himself, His nature, who He is, and then by extension, who He's calling us to be, by re- to reflect Him, right? And He went through all of the, the Ten Commandments, and then there was a, a, um, uh, a couple of chapters where we had application of those commandments in certain situations, some case law we looked at, and at the end of all of those, yes, case law, I said it, at the end of all those things, at the end of all those commandments, what was the response of the people? Do you remember? If you're drawing a blank, it's in chapter 24. Did All that you have said, we will do. All that you have said, we will do. They said it before he gave the commands, and they said it after he gave the commands. All that you have said, we will do. And do you remember that as we discussed the designs for the tabernacle, there were those three sections in the tabernacle that were given. There was this picture, too, of the mountain, and then he called the uh, some of the leaders, the elders up halfway, but they couldn't come to the very top of the mountain where he was dwelling. Uh, Moses went up and ascended, but there was the midway, and then there were the people at the base of the mountain, right? So you had the three kind of picture of the three sections of, of the tabernacle in that one scene of the mountain where you had the, the outer court, kind of the base of the mountain, the, the holy place, the midway up the mountain where the, the, some intermediaries were there, and then God's presence in the holy of holies, the summit of the mountain, right? You had that whole kind of thing. 
The people could not even touch the foot of the mountain or they would be killed. They needed a mediator. Remember that whole discussion that we had there. All right, with that in mind, Moses has been up in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, we're told by the text. And we get to chapter 32, verse 1. When the people of saw, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What's going on here? What's the source of the grumbling? There's some angst, some anxiety. When they saw that Moses had delayed. Yeah? How long have they been in the desert at this point? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I, I believe it was about a year. I think that's right. And they didn't have much of a plan, right? They were just... Well, they knew they were to come to the mountain, receive the covenant from God, that he had promised them in Egypt, I'm going to take you to a land, the, the promised land. So they knew they were supposed to go someplace. They probably knew where it was. But a matter of getting there, they're delayed here at this mountain for a month, month and a half. At the base of the mountain that they can't touch. And there's clouds and thunder and lightning, very, very frightening, all going on at the top. Moses is up in the cloud. For 40 days. This word delayed that's used in... in uh, anybody have any translation other than ESV? Do you, what, what's, the, <laughs> Clint, what is the, what's the word that they used? Verse? For verse 1, they saw that Moses had what? Delayed. It's delayed? Is it, is it delayed in yours as well? Uh, for mine, it's uh, Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. So long in coming down from the mountain is NIV? Okay, and is that what you have as V? Uh, okay, what does it say there? Uh, which verse? Verse, the, well, verse 1, yeah. Moses did what? When they saw that Moses had... I'm just curious. Verse, verse, verse. King James is delayed. 
Is it delayed? Is, are they all delayed? Um, the, in the Hebrew, the, the word that we translate delayed or took so long in coming, um, it, it has a root verb there, and I'm working off of what the smart people tell me, that means to be ashamed. To be ashamed. So the idea is, he's left us and shamed us by abandoning us here like a bunch of chumps at the bottom of this mountain and we can't go up. Right? When you've been shamed, when you feel like you've been shamed, what's your response? What do you think a natural response would be if you feel like you've been dissed? That's an 80s word. I can use that. It's my era. Yeah. Yes, sir. Anger. Anger. We seeing that here? Retaliation, revenge, too. Yeah, retaliation. Retaliation, revenge. What goes on here? How do you? What is there? I want to cut. I want to wash that man right out of my hair. I want. I want that. I want that done. Sorry, seventies, also my era. Um, so I, I want to cut off everything that deals with that person, and do what? And do what I want to do. Do we see that happen here? What's the tone of the crowd as they approach Moses' brother, Aaron? It's a command. It is, isn't it? Pretty strong command. Get up. What are you doing? Yo, old man, get off your butt. They came as a mob. They came as a congregation. I think a mob. A mob? <laughs> Well, some translations uh, have it. The, the ESV kind of, I think, makes it really sweet here. They say the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. No, Aaron hadn't called them together to be gathered. They came around him, is another way to translate this. As a congregation, they congregated around him. A mob of people who've been, who have felt shamed surround the brother of the guy that they felt has abandoned them and left them out in the desert like a bunch of chumps. Yeah. I think the thing that jumped out at me when you first read that is the level of superstition that these people had. You make us gods that will go... I mean, yeah. that doesn't even logically make sense. No. But I'm trying to like understand that culture. But didn't they come out of Egypt where it was very... Yes, and well, and and in, in fairness, here's the here's the rationale behind that. They would make idols. The culture, the pagan culture, makes idols to house the god. It's an it's a representation of the spiritual thing that that you know we have this idol that we give food, we give all this stuff to, as a representation of us feeding the god and then pleasing the god, and he grants us favor. So, in that mindset, that's very logical. What's illogical is to have a voice speaking to you from the mountain that you never see a physical representation. You just have a voice. That's not part of the worldview of the culture. And yet, that's what they had experienced. But there was this, now that's gone. What's going on? I've been shamed. And so they take it out on the nearest, closest relative to Moses that they could lay their hands on, Aaron, the high priest, 
right? Um, Make us gods who shall go before us. They gather themselves together. They congregate. There's sinister intent here. Uh, these people are on the verge of, of mutiny. How do they speak of Moses? What, they, what is a? It's one word that they use as an adjective. This Moses. Are we confused about another Moses? The language is very hostile, very angry. Um, der- derision toward this Moses that God had appointed to represent them to him, this Moses. All right. Yeah, sure. That's a great point. Had they elevated Moses to the status of an idol? Great, we have a walking statue of gold in Moses. Very good. That's a good point. Yeah. The man that brought us out of the yeah. 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 Right. And Aaron also looked at as an, an instrument for that as well. I mean, it was his rod. It was his, you know, uh, uh, doing things at first to, to lead them. Um, all right. What's Aaron's instruction to them? Look, I know there's delay. He hasn't shamed you. I know my brother. This is going to be okay. Just be patient. Remember what you saw on the mountain. Remember the voice of God. He's calling you to Himself to be His people. Trust God. Don't do this thing. That's Aaron, man of God with the rod. Right? Not so much. What does he do? What does he do? He tells them how we can build an idol. Right? He becomes a jeweler. He tells them how we can build an idol. What does he say? What kind of gold? Earrings. Now, where have they gotten gold? They're a bunch of ex-slaves out in the middle of the wilderness. Where are they getting gold? Egypt. How'd that happen? God plundered the Egyptians for them, and they got gold that they're wearing in their ears. Among other things, right? They had other gold. Other, other articles of value, stones, metals, stuff. Why earrings? Why does it, and, and another translation I read on this, uh, a guy translated this, tear the earrings out of your ears. Tear the gold out of your ears. It's t- a, 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 an idea of tearing it out. I don't know if that has any significance of some kind of religious thing or whatever. Why earrings? Wasn't that piercing a tr- tribal there's some of that. There's some of that. There was somebody who willingly became a bond servant. They put their ear up against the door to be all in. To be all right. And then there was so the earring was kind of like a sign of I belong to the master. Yeah. There. There's that. 
Do you remember, though, when, when Jacob was coming out of, um, from, from Laban's camp and he was going back to um, Canaan? And, and he told the wives and the family, put away all your foreign gods and, and give me all your earrings. Do you remember that? He, he gathers all of the, of the, of the pagan um, stuff together and specifically names, give me your earrings. There's some element here where the earring is a, is a, is a religious type uh, presentation of metal. It's a religious artifact that they would wear to show that they're covered by a god. I, I don't know what it shows, but there's some kind of issue with the earrings. Why the Israelites are wearing this, I don't know. Uh, especially since that's not part of their covenant with God to wear an earring. But they have it from the Egyptians because that was a thing of value that they plundered, that God plundered for them. So when Moses is going to make an idol, grab the metal that's made for idol worship. That's part of the religious practice. So everybody starts donating their religious medals. I wonder how spiritual that felt. I wonder how holy they felt, how alive they felt and connected with the divine by giving up these gold earrings to make their God. Like a sacrifice for the greater good. Sure, sure. Part of me, I made that idol. I gave to that idol. I wonder how that, because, you know, we have no experience with that. In their culture, there was a cultural, uh, cultic significance to earrings, it, it, and I have written down last night at 1.30. Um, it wasn't just bling, apparently. Okay, uh, so Aaron fashions a calf. Like a potter, Aaron fashions this, this cash cow. And in the, in, the, in the text, it takes it in a reverse order as a, as a literary device. The, the way that it's stated in the ESV... Uh, so the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand. They're so giving. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. The eye is an engraver's tool. That's the detail work at the end. So it starts off with the detail work and then says, and made a molten calf. Made a it's reverse. Usually what you do is you'd, you'd get the metal, melt it down, pour it over a form, and then engrave it with the engraver's tool, right? That's, and that's the way he did it, but the way that they write it here is it's, it's a cart before the horse kind of thing. It's a literary Hebrew device here, but it always bothers me. Why would they do it in reverse order? But that's why. It's kind of a thing. But I think it draws out a point. An engraver's tool there. Um, this is a detailed thing. He spent time on this to make this idol. This wasn't a quick, oh man, I can't believe I did this. I'm so sorry I did it. No, there's thought here. There's planning here. There's deliberation over, I'll make the smile on the calf just like this, you know, or whatever. I, I once, there's a song by a, a guy named Steve, I may have told you all this already, by Steve Taylor called Cash Cow. It's one of my favorite songs ever. 
I don't agree with a lot of the other stuff he did later on in life, but this was a great song. He talks about this event, and he sa- he's describing the calf in the wilderness, and he says, and it had the face of Robert Tilton without the horns. So, do you all know who Robert Tilton is? Oh my gosh, really? Wait, that's not the... It's a televangelist guy who, like... Th- anyway, never mind. It was... Is it the party preacher? Yes, it's the farty preacher. Thank you for bringing that out. Why a cow? Why a cow? Why not a frog? Why not, uh, you know, uh, a leopard or something? Why a cow? Did they have specific significance in Egypt? What? Do, what did they have significant, significant, specific significance in Egypt? What? What do you think? Do you remember when we talked about the plagues? And each plague was dealing with a certain range of gods in Egypt. Do you remember that we talked, several of them had this um, bovine thing going on. Uh, if you remember in Egypt, uh, they had the, um, the um, Apis was the most important of the Egyptian sacred bulls. Isis was a female god with cow's horns on her head, which always brings to mind how would you in that culture, compliment a woman. Your ears, they are like, anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Hathor, Hathor had a bovine head, as well as uh, several of the Canaanite cults uh, in, in, with El or Baal had, had this cow representation. Uh, I think a few years ago, several years ago, archaeologists actually found a silver calf in the, in the Mediterranean area that kind of confirms some of this stuff, but... How, how many idols did Aaron make? How many? It's not a trick. It's not a trick question. How many? Did he, how did he make? One. He made one. And what's their response to this? These are your plural gods, O Israel. Now I know. You, I know there are things in the desert. You get dehydrated. And your eyes kind of cross, and maybe, maybe they thought they saw more than one. Why would they say these are your gods with one idol? Well, there's a lot of that. Maybe Aaron and the calf. Aaron and the calf? More than one head. More than one head. Wrapping all those gods into one. Wrapping all those gods into one. Uh, it's in, uh, yeah, yeah, so the, four. yeah, four, yeah, yeah, that's it, four. Who brought you up? These are your gods, O Israel. What we have here is a very clear pic- picture of what's called syncretism. We're not being, we're not abandoning Yahweh. Uh, the calf is actually in partnership with him. We're just thankful that they're both here. These are your gods, O Israel. And how do, we, how do we know that this is kind of what's going on? What does Aaron say next? When he saw this, he said what? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Yes, the cow did it. He built an altar and then he said, tomorrow we're going to feast to He builds an altar. Now, where did that come from? And then he says, tomorrow we will have a feast to Yahweh. 
Well, that's mighty spiritual. What's going on here? There doesn't need to be hostility here. We can get along. It's okay. It's okay to God. In fact, we'll have a we'll have a feast celebrating the diversity that God is. Yes. Uh, I went to a seminar uh, that was held by this guy who studied a lot about the uh, Old Testament gods and whatnot. He said that. When they worshipped that calf, they were saying uh, that God was dwelt in that calf or right. on that calf. Yeah, it's yeah. According to uh, uh, ancient uh, scripts, right? It, the God is represented by the idol, and and in some essence will dwell in the idol. But even so, they didn't say just God; they said God's plural, and so he's right. That's part of what's going on. But there's also this idea that they are, there's a plethora of gods. And this one seems to have left us because the man he appointed went AWOL. He's probably in the land eating milk and honey right now and left us here at the bottom of this mountain. Yes? To me, it seems like improper worship. And it makes me think of later on when Aaron's sons offered their strength uh, and just how people will do that. There's a conference on that. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they tap things to the Holy Spirit that aren't. Right, God. right. And this is the Holy Spirit, O oh church. Mm-hmm. Right, that kind of thing? Yeah, good. Yes? One thing that, the reason why I asked the question how long they had been in the wilderness and then they've been at the base for 40 days. Mm-hmm. You can imagine a sense of restlessness, like no plan, no agenda. Mm-hmm. Where are we going? What are we doing? And I don't know how many people. How many people were there? Well, there were. There were, um, I think, three million males. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of people. Wow. Yeah, that's I why Egypt imagine, like, suppressed them because they were, they were yeah. covering the land. They said like locusts. Yeah, right. So they were really a, a populous people. God had blessed them, made them fruitful, and um, so there's this restlessness. There. I don't know. Just and Aaron is appeasing them right. by saying, "Oh, it's okay. Tomorrow we'll have a feast to Yahweh." What's um? Is this really a breach of the covenant? I mean, really, they're they're having a feast to God. Just that little bit about no other gods before me. There's that whole no other gods before me. It's how you get to them. I mean, their mediator's gone. All right. They have something else. How you get to them, their mediator's gone, we'll make our own mediator in, in, the, in the calf, right? That's the way we'll connect to God, is through the calf. He doesn't speak, but hey, at least we can see him. Yeah, I'm going in order. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I think it, if you think, is this a breach? If, if you look at the, the marriage covenant that God mm. set up, 
and if a man goes off and kisses another woman who's not his wife or whatever, mm -hmm. is that a breach? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Even if he was thinking of his wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's not his right, wife. Right. And there's a there's that same kind of covenant relationship yeah. and God even refers to that like in Hosea, you know, that yeah. that that you're not supposed to to be unfaithful and mm. and, un, and disloyal. Right. So so there's a even though we're thinking of Yahweh, we're kissing the calf. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, yes. To that point, it reminds me of the people in Isaiah we just gone through with Philip about, you know, during the week they were offering their kids mm. to Molech and mm -hmm. all that and doing all this stuff with idols. But, oh, we, we kept the Sabbath. We did right. the sacrifices. It's kind of like their checklist of, of moralistic good stuff that they're doing. Oh, yeah, we still did. We're still in the covenant. We still... You know, we, we're going to have this feast to God. There's a phrase that uh, Philip has used and other people have used about Christianity today. Not the magazine. Um, that, that it, well, maybe. That, um, that is uh, how we approach God, how we approach our understanding of the cross. It's a moralistic, therapeutic deism. We're good people. But we need to. We need. We need helps. We need a twelve-step program. <laughs> but we'll attribute the success of that twelve-step program to a higher power made in our own image, right? And we call that Christianity. Uh, first one is breached. You say, uh, "No other gods before me." Why do you say that? These are our gods, plural. That's. That's the first one. Is there another one that's breached here? They make a god. They made a god. They used an engraver's tool. A graven image. So here we have, I think I found that. Yeah, the spring from last week. Um, so, um, <laughs> put a little spring in my step, sorry. Okay, so you, you have, I'm on again at eight, thank you. Um, you have, again, a clear, and I think that's why he uses the language, an engraver's tool, literally, is kind of the language that's used, because it points to the first and second commandments. We're not even out of the gate yet, and already the first two, the most obvious two, are breached. And it's okay, because we're going to have a feast to Yahweh. And they have all night to think about how wonderful this is or how wonderful it may not be. What does it say in verse 6? They put it off for a while. They deliberated. They, they took a night to sleep on it. Then they rose up early. Now that's a spiritual thing. I mean, that is, that is a very holy experience, getting up early. I've heard of it. <laughs> they rose up early, and they did what? First thing off the bat, what did they do? What does it say? They ate barbecue. They, it's a southern religious ceremony. They had uh, dinner on the grounds. Um, they had a burnt offering, and what? Peace offering. Question. Yes. Is this to the calf or to Yahweh or to our Yahweh calf? 
Yes. <laughs> and that's the problem, isn't it? Yes. Where did they learn this burn? Oh, go ahead. You were going to say something else. Okay. Where do they learn this burn offering, peace offering business? Hadn't they already heard this in the law that God had given from the mountain? Hadn't they done this already before Moses went up the mountain? All the Lord has said we will do, let's do a burnt offering, a peace offering, because we're going to be at peace with God. We're ending a covenant with Him. This is the picture that He had as Moses goes up, and they take that feast that was set apart for them to be at peace with God, to have right relationship with God, and they pervert it into this syncretistic, it's okay, this is our God too, nonsense. And they rose up early to do it. They got right on it. They're real diligent in it. And then what? Jeff, are you going to say something? Just how quickly they, they immediately turned away after they got this, you know, after, after they knew about all these offerings and stuff, how immediately they perverted it. Yeah. It's just... It's very fast. But is it fast? Because it's been 40 days. I mean, come on. They held out for 40 days. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say what's interesting to me is I think when there's something new and different and whatever we might be willing to rise up early and mm. be excited and whatever but when it's a daily somewhat mundane yeah. thing of getting up reading scripture spending time in prayer right there sometimes sometimes there's there's not necessarily an excitement because it is a discipline mm-hmm. that's a daily discipline and yet it's very necessary yeah you have some something yeah okay I saw hand movement. I just. Cammy was saying how I know, like with our idols, we prioritize for our idols. Mm-hmm. Well, I have in fact, and it, we fight for them, and it's just as much of a fight to discipline ourselves to repent or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we won't fight for that. We won't fight for our priorities in Christ, but we will for our idols. Does that make sense? Yes, we'll fight. We'll fight for our effort for the wrong thing. For too much effort. To too much the effort for the repentance and yeah. the and the broken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Chelsea, your hand was raised. So I was just looking back. I mean, he, he was gone for forty days, reading mm-hmm. all of the law, the Ten Commandments, and then all of the um, specific um, tabernacle priesthood, all that stuff. So it was back in chapter twenty when this started. Mm-hmm. When Right. And then I don't know where in there Aaron goes back down. I, and I, if I remember correctly, it's when Moses goes on up to the summit. Because you remember they all, all the elders and, and Aaron had a, had a meal yeah. with God at the mid-mountain. Yeah. A mid-mountain meal. It's very Baptist. And so then as Moses goes up, they go, they go back down to be with the people and lead the people while he's receiving the particulars of the covenant. I think, I, if I remember correctly, that's how that happened. It, it, yes. Go ahead. What, what did they, um, what did the people think the offering was going to do? So we built this calf. Now we made an offering to it. What was their expectation of what was going to happen next? Move forward. Go somewhere. Do something rather than sit here wondering what's going on, where Moses has gone. Obviously, we're not going anywhere with him. He's abandoned us. Yeah. He's left us here to die. The thing I see is that this is a way to manipulate God. Sure. Like we're going we're gonna to build an, our own God and then offer a burnt offering, yep. much like 
somehow, sometimes I pray in such a way mm. that I think I can figure God out or manipulate God. Right. So because in Jesus' name gets everything done. <laughs> right. It just, it just does. Right. Um, the, they use the same language. Right? They used, the, the, the ritual was the same. Um, the, the, they're still giving thanks for that deliverance from, from Egypt, but in their way, on their terms, in a way that they could manage, in a way that they could feel comfortable. And it was fun. They made it exciting and relevant. Right? Uh, they, they did the offering. They sat down to eat and drink. Senses are being assaulted. They're being satisfied. I'm getting food. I'm getting drink in all kinds of various forms, whatever that was. They're sitting down. They're, they're enjoying themselves. And then they rise up to play. What does that mean? Did somebody go and fashion a park? And we've got a bunch of Israelites just doing the... Yeah, well, there's some play with each other. It has a lot of connotations. There's a, there's a laughter and teasing idea behind it. In other parts of Scripture, this word is used. There's a, a dancing, because we're Baptists. There's dancing. Uh, there was amusement, dancing, playing, teasing, and then there's sexual activity going on. All of those things are wrapped up into this word, and it's in a general form, which kind of means, yep, all the above. All of this is going on, and it's been blessed. It's been anointed by this feast, by the language, by the, the, the same kind of stuff that they did with Yahweh, but now we have something physical that we can see and control and do our thing. At the end of chapter 31, we ended on an odd note. God talking about Sabbath rest, right? The Sabbath that he had given to these former slaves. We move from God's covenant faithfulness and the Sabbath command to Israel's covenant unfaithfulness and worshiping what they make, what their work produces from the spoil that God provided from Egypt, their oppressors. And this story is wedged in between receiving the commands to build the tabernacle and the actual fulfilling of those commands and building the tabernacle. Why is this story wedged here between these two situations? Receiving the command and then actually doing it, and then we have this story. Why is it here? Of the golden calf, yeah. Why would it be wedged in between those two events? And then, so God is telling, giving Moses this information of how they're going to build the tabernacle mm. while they are uh, freely giving their their goal to make this calf. And then after Moses comes down the 17th straight, then later on that is actually going to happen. They're going mm. to uh, freely give of their resources for the tabernacle. 
but, but at this point, apart from the restraining hand of God in Moses, being used by Moses, the people freely, of their own free will, blow it. They blow it. Before they can build and worship, they had to repent and be renewed in the covenant. That's where this is going. But that's the Old Testament. Right? Uh, we're under grace, post-cross, so you know, while it might make God sad that we sin, He forgives us because that's just His job. Right? That's the way it works. Is that false? Go to 1 Corinthians 10. I know we're limited on time and we may not get to everything that I have written on the five pages of notes that I have remaining. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example, or as examples, for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I've never loved the word thee so much as I do in that last verse. What is the way to escape it when... You feel abandoned. Where is God here? And what's the natural response? To get angry. To get resentful. To take control of the situation. It's spiraling. I've got to take control. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. We're not, well, put it this way. The children of Israel at the foot of the mountain are not unique. Notice it says we must not put Christ to the test. Um, these are given as our example. 
God doesn't play when it comes to sin. This is a warning to us. And yet, verse 13, God is faithful when He tests us with our own sin. The escape is enduring it. Persevering through it. Being faithful when it doesn't feel alive. It doesn't feel relevant. Sometimes the enduring it is the struggle to find right repentance and patiently waiting on God's mercy to provide it. What does he say in verse 14? Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is post-cross, and we're fleeing from idolatry. You cannot baptize, I cannot baptize my sin with biblical language. Because I may feel slighted by someone else and that they may have sinned against me, I'm not justified in a harsh response that I'll just call righteous indignation. I'm not justified uh, avoiding someone because it's just better for me not to be around that person or I'll just nurse this bitterness here because they haven't repented, really. Right? I'm just talking to you from my own heart. Um, this can be directed, really, to anything. God has abandoned me and not brought me X, so I'll take care of this need this way in secret, or else I'm going to really sin. When we start talking like that... <laughs> when we start taking that kind of um, mentality on things, we're planning a feast to Yahweh while putting the finishing touches on the golden calf. Do you find it to be a pattern that when you start to feel like life is spiraling out of control, you have to take the reins from Christ and reassert your own authority in some way? Do you, do you find that to be true? I do. It's getting crazy. I need to know I can control at least this one thing. It may be sin, but at least I call the shots here. And at least it's not as bad as it could be. Look what so-and-so is doing. So we justify. We sit down to eat and drink, and we rise up to play. Impatience and lack of reliance upon His goodness and mercy often, and this may be true for you, often drives me into the hands of another master. Wanting to be controlled, something I can control. I had a conversation with Emma. I know we're running. Um, on Fridays, we drive, just the two of us, back and forth to school. The other two are at home. And, um, and I just asked her, I said, do you ever feel dull? Do you ever feel just bleh in Christianity, where you just don't feel it? You don't want... She's 13, yeah, she's 13. Uh, and, and she's my daughter, just to... Uh, <laughs> who's this random person he's writing? Does Tammy know about this? Yes, yeah, it's my daughter, Emma, she's 13. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I said, do you ever just feel this, this, this glaze over you where it just doesn't... The, the scripture reading doesn't do it for you. Prayer is just not there. It's hitting the ceiling and, and, and dinging your forehead. Do you ever feel that kind of thing? 
And she said, yeah, I do. And I, and I was being honest with her, I, I've been kind of there for a while. Just kind of this trying to maintain faithfulness and not have the emotional drive for it. You ever been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? What is this guy? He's teaching. What is this? Yes, do you have that? Do you? Okay, I know. <laughs> Let's have a feast to Yahweh. Okay, so, um, and she said, yes, I, I get that way. And I said, well, what if it, what if, what if, and she said, you, you just, if you know you're in a trial, you're in a test, then, then you need to, then you need to just be faithful in that because God's testing your heart to see where it is and, 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 and to show you that you need it. I mean, she's given all the right answers, which I was impressed with, and 13. And so I said, yeah, but what if, what if it's because you're clinging to something that's just not right? What if it's a sin and you know why you're, you're, you're hardened? It's because, I mean, Philip talked about faithful doubting when there wasn't really, what if you know there's something there? And you're just clinging to some kind of anger or some bitterness or some kind of nonsense. And you don't want to repent because you can control that. How is that? What do you do with that? And she said to me, um, why isn't that also a test of God? Why isn't that also a, a, a movement of him to show you your need of him and his repentance? 13. Proud of because that's exactly right. And this morning, on my tablet, uh, pops up Lagos verse of the day thing, you know, those little cute little graphics that they have. <clears throat> I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Well, let me read this first. Impatience and lack of reliance upon his goodness and mercy often drives me in the arms of another master, someone or something I can feel that satisfies my senses, that I can control, but the burden always becomes too much to bear. That's what I wrote last night. And that's where I was going to leave this. And then this thing comes up on Logos this morning. And, and I'm remembering this conversation with Emma. And it says this. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. Now let's maybe set that aside. Secret place of thunder. What is that? How is that secret? But anyway, secret place of thunder I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Do you remember that? The waters of Meribah, the waters of bitterness. It's bitter. We can't drink it. We're going to die of thirst. He puts a tree in and it sweetens the water. But they grumbled because he waited. He delayed to satisfy their thirst. And they grumbled and sinned against him. And yet he still satisfied them with sweet water. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel... If you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It doesn't stop. You think it will stop when you pass the class? When you get out of basic training, you think it'll stop when when uh, you get uh, the job, when you have that success in the career, when you find the person, the one that you're to marry. You think it will stop. You think it'll stop when your kids act a certain way. You think it'll stop when you get a house or the perfect car or the right man in the presidency or the governorship or shoot, I'll take the school board with the right person there. You think it'll stop this 
It's not working. I need control. Right? It goes on and on. Rather than keep our mouths open and expecting and dependent upon Him and the nature He has revealed of Himself, we shut our mouths and storm off looking for something we can bring to our mouths and it make us feel alive and control. We shut them. We storm off. We're angry. He's not fast enough. But God is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Will we depend on Him and endure? Or will we dilute who He is, shut our mouths, and grow careless in this faith by which we stand? Or will we fall like those in the wilderness? We've got to press on. We've got to be faithful. We've got to press on. And you said something to me this morning, and I forget what it was. And you do too, right now. I can see by the look in your eye. And it was a, about something. It was very profound. Oh, and I, I said, don't I, forget, because I'll forget it, and you say it. All right. I think I was just saying, um, when, when you are in those places where you're bitter and frustrated and, and, and not seeing the hand of God... Um, I think sometimes we, we set these goals. Well, by the time I'm 27, I want to be married or whatever. And 27 comes and goes, and I'm still not married or whatever. Well, I am. But, but I, had these, I had these goals as a younger person. Glad you clarified. Because I'm older now. And, and when those goals didn't get met, sometimes I would get really frustrated. And even now, sometimes we get frustrated when we set goals and... They don't happen the way we think they should happen on our timetable. And I think it's very important to remember what Chad said about finding our, our strength. You know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, what is the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is found through the path of, of thankfulness and count, constantly recounting all the things that we are thankful for and all the things that God has been faithful in and all the progress that he has already fulfilled in our lives mm-hmm. in different areas. It may not be the way we thought it should happen. Right. But I think rather than getting so frustrated about these expectations or goals that we set and they don't get met the way we think they should be met, to take a step back and constantly think of all the things we have to be thankful for and all the things that God's already been faithful in, it, 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 it resets your mind. <laughs> the way to endure it that he says in, in the end of 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 13. The way is the thankfulness in Christ that he's sufficient. Even when we're frustrated. Even when we're frustrated, that he's enough. We're on his timetable, not ours. We're on his sanctification schedule, not ours. And, and you said something to me this morning. We want to worship him for who he is and what he's done. Not for who and you said to me this morning, uh, be thankful that you only yelled at the kids twice this week and not every day this week. You know, there's progress there. And, you know, there's a thankfulness to endure the, the thing, the, 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 the frustration. Um, anyway, we're way, way late on time, so I'm going to pray. So, yay, be thankful. Um, and don't build a feast that's false to, to God. All right, that's all we can Father, um, it's been a while, and so I had a lot to say, and I'm sorry that I didn't get to all of it, uh, but I, I thank you that you are faithful.
and that you are good and that you, um, that you uh, uphold your people by your kindness that draws us to repentance, by your holiness that makes us distinct and into the image of Christ, and, and, and by your power that raised Christ from the dead that will complete the work that you've started in us. God, keep us from bitterness. Keep us from the quick and easy uh, uh, way of, of, of dealing with that we're not in control. I, I pray for hearts that are broken and repentant and humbly dependent upon who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. Be with us as we go into the main service. Be with Philip as he preaches. Let it be a word in season. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sorry for running along.